You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. And when her husband talks to her... This is the part where Todd cries. Oh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to say it now. Oh, come now on. I'm, okay, I'll say it. Welcome to the Legendarium. We are the blue team. And Boy, and we- it is a loopy night already. <laughs> you know, occasionally we we come in and we are we are fully prepared for high level intellectual conversations. This is not one of and those. And then nights. there's tonight. And then there's there's nights like tonight where it's kind of one of those deals where it's like I have no idea what's coming out tonight, but it's going to be a good one. <sighs> you guys wish one you had heard. Help. We spent the last five minutes talking about. How long we've known each other and what Stephanie was wearing. <laughs> that that's sounds, not awkward that at all sounds, now. <laughs> that sounds so much worse than what it really was, too. It's just delightful. Right uh, now I'm wearing a pair of jeans, a long sleeve shirt, and a, and a bathrobe. Fuzzy. And a robe. <laughs> and a bathrobe. <laughs> and, it's cold here, okay? And a, a and a beautiful, I, I just, I think this is one of the most beautiful, is this a minky blanket? It is. And I made it myself. A minky yeah. blanket. I may have to put in. You are just. You are just talented. Not only are you a wonderful panelist, but you sew and you make things. I feel like I'm being interviewed for this podcast. Oh, trust now. me, no. That's, <laughs> Stephanie, tell us how long you've sewn. That's things. only going to last for about another thirty <laughs> seconds or so. Um, we uh, by now, if you have not guessed, it is Ken, Stephanie, and Todd forming the uh, blue team today and we are continuing our conversation on the expanse we are 27 chapters in so if you are reading along with us and you have gone any farther than 27 chapters and you find yourself at some point screaming at your whatever device it is that you are using to listen to us because you think that we are just up in the night and completely off base it's because we've only read 27 chapters but we felt like this deserved an opportunity for us to get together and and kind of talk about where we're at partly because last time when we were doing when we did uh when we did the first one uh uh now i can only think of caliban's war leviathan wakes when we did leviathan wakes we got to the end and and we were we we all kind of looked at each other and said yeah we we probably could have talked about a little bit more there's probably a little bit more that we could have talked about so we decided that we would do uh we decided that we would do caliban's war in two episodes uh, at least two episodes. We'll we'll do this one, and then we'll read the rest of the book, and we'll finish it off. Um, but uh, my goodness, there is a lot to unpack that is being laid into these books. I'm having just a really really fun time. Um, Ken, so far, 27 chapters in. How you feeling about this? Oh, they're fun. This it, it doesn't stop. It just picks up from where it left off, and we just go running. You know. And Stephanie, how I love about, it. How about you? Huh. Um, uh. is my answer. <laughs> yep, we had a real good head of steam going, and Stephanie kills it with her oh, minky and her, sorry. yeah, okay. I don't know. Would you like some warm cocoa, princess? Maybe. <laughs> this, and I'm hoping this isn't going to be the problem for every book in the Expanse series we read, but like the first book, I had a hard time getting into it. It took me about chapter 15 to finally be like, yes, I'm excited to read this book. I'm excited to find out what happens. I just don't think the authors are really all that great at introducing new characters and introducing them quickly enough to make me care. For your taste. For me. That's that's my own personal opinion, not anyone else's. Like, it's just me reading the book the way I read it, so... Any hate mail send directly to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it, and and I would absolutely agree. They are, um, fr- from a from a writing standpoint, it's it's not uh, their their approach to all of this is not necessarily one that says immediately um, you're gonna you're gonna care about these characters. They they really make you do some work. Um, in the initial stages to get used to the characters. Well, and it's a hard... I'm not used to book twos being like this. Usually by book two, you've been introduced to most of your main characters. 
you kind of know where the storyline is going-ish or what the next level might be after they solve their problem of book one. And so you're still following the same characters. Where here, the only same character we have that we're really following from book one is Holden and his crew. Yep. And then we have, was it four other characters besides three Holden? New, three new main characters. A viewpoints that we're getting of chapters that we are now being introduced to and having to get their backstory and where they're coming from. And yep. it's just like all over with book one. And I was like, why, why am I caring about these people and how are they fitting into this story? Because it takes so long for him to get, for them, Ken keeps reminding me, the <laughs> authors of this, there are two of them under one name, um, but the, it just takes them forever to get to the point of why he introduced them in the first place. Yes. It's an interesting layout too, because basically it's two points of view each in two different storylines. And, and they kind of ping pong off of each other, uh, one more so than the other, but Basically, it's now you've got Holden and Prax over here, and you've got Avasarla and Bobby over here, and that's it. And, and eventually, these two are going to, oh yeah, converge. It, it, obviously, it, but it's obvious that that there is a that there is a track that they are being plotted on that is going to intersect, and it's probably going to intersect at Venus. Probably. Let's be fair. Uh, we don't know. We're not that far. We're into we're, this book we're 27 <laughs> chapters in. Yeah, where 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 we have ended, uh, they have just uh, it, it, we, Ken does not have a recap for us yet, which is fair because mm. the book isn't done. Right. We I, only so, fired him off the podcast, so this is the last comment Ken will be making for the <sighs> evening. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. This way now. I like it when Stephanie's playing princess. This is pretty cool. She just off with my head. And she did. Me. She did off from the podcast. Um, don't worry. All of you that are like, what? <laughs> the, I don't have that kind of power. The, really? The, the cult of Ken is going to start to start a revolt the, the or knights. something. Knights oh, it's the Knights Ken. of Ken in the cult of Kyle. No, Craig. Craig. Cult has of Craig. Yeah. Oh, well, Craig would have a cult. Yeah. Um, so Kyle's and, congregation, I believe. Kyle's congregation. Yeah. But um, the Knights of Ken, thank you very and much. The troop of Todd. We is have all masks. Too busy, too busy drinking and reveling. The, the, I have a secret society, though. So, and that's pretty cool. That is um, pretty cool. So, Ken, don't worry. <laughs> anyway, don't worry. We're not losing Ken. We're so we off track. We told point. you. We told you. We warned you in advance. <laughs> Today's one of those days. Um, I want to go back to the writing really quick, since we're you know we have to pick some place to go. Back, back to, to. <laughs> let's go back to the writing just for one second, because after listening to our author shelf episode and talking about uh, collaborative writing, I it, it's left me with a little bit more of a of a uh, mind to try to figure out which parts Ty Frank writes and which part Dan Abraham. I think. Is it Dan? Dave? I can't remember. I don't Abraham and Frank. That's what we're going to go with. But it Abe and uh, Frank. Yeah, it, it leaves me going. Did did. Abraham write the Bobby and Avasarla stuff and Frank write the the uh, Holden and Prax stuff or vice versa or are they collaborating both directions so that uh, they can yeah. get to the main point I I'm now I'm I'm very interested to see uh, how their collaborative effort is um is is uh, divided out I've been trying to figure out um in in other in other collaborative writing exercises that I've been involved with, um, you it it's it's been very easy to see where one person's style picks up and another person's style leaves, particularly when dealing with certain types of inner dialogue and different kinds of things like that. Obviously, there becomes one overall um, tone as the editing goes into place, and you've got an editor involved that's trying to help you know, smooth things out, but I've been trying, I've been trying to figure out which one of them, if, if one of them says, okay, I will write all of the Holden, you write all of the Prax, I'll write all the Avasarla, you write all of the Bobby and see if there was a way to, and I, I'm, they do a, they do such a wonderful job that either they, they really understand each other and they work very well together and everything is collaborative or they're just so seamless that I'm that their editor their editor is so good that I can't figure out where one starts and the other stops. Yeah, maybe it's too. It's really good. It, it's two word processors in the same room and they're both <laughs> typing. What about this? Either that, yeah, that? either that or one of them. It's like okay, you type, I'm going to talk. <laughs> okay, let's go from here. <laughs> 
and so, some of it actually <laughs> feels that Todd's way. Face. <laughs> I just got that's every, I so I gotta I gotta say the one character that that I both wish we could get an insight into a little bit more, but I absolutely know that even if we did, probably it wouldn't be any different than what we've already got. Is Amos? Amos. Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> just like, Cap, don't think that's a good idea. That guy. <laughs> hey, Amos, Amos does not, he does not obscure anything. No. I, except for maybe, you know, the sun when you're standing right behind him. <laughs> <laughs> Other than I, that, I mean, he, he'll tell you what he's thinking. You don't have to ask, what do you, what do you mean by that? You know exactly what he meant by that. Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, the, I, I, I just, I just finished a little while ago, uh, where he says, don't worry, Cap. I'm last. I'm. I was made to be the last one standing. I and love I, that. And I was like, you know, yeah, you really were, weren't you? And I have this image in my head. I have. Not, I. I've. It counter to, uh, or or independent of what's going on with the television series. I have an image of my head of what Amos needs to look like. And quite frankly, the guy that on is on the television stuff. I think he's about. Uh, he's about fifty pounds too light and about three inches or four inches too short. That's just yeah, maybe. That's just me. He's that's still just me. He's still plenty big. West oh, Chatham he's a big boy. Name he's a big boy. Guy is a moose. Holy but I'm. But but I. But I remember. I remember watching him, and I and I listen to the way that the guy reads him, and I'm like, "Yep, no, he's got to be bigger. <laughs> he's got to be bigger." Um, what? Uh, as far as the new characters, though, what do you think? Who's your favorite new character so far? We got three big uh, ones. Do I have a favorite new character? I don't know. Prax is pretty cool. I like Prax. I think he's been interesting. And I don't know, maybe that's coming from a mother's side of me where I can understand where he's coming from as a father and trying to save his daughter who has been abducted and taken who knows where for who knows really what kind of reason. But he's the one that I'm enjoying most and watching um, how Holden interacts with him. And I think some of the last scenes that we've read about him where he was outside the ship and his oh, ex yeah. his experience having left the moon the yeah, moon Ganymede. that they were on Ganymede. yeah i was like it's a moon right yes this last one was an asteroid this is a moon okay. this is a trying moon. to remember where all of these places are you didn't spend your free time studying our the 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 makeup of our solar system when you were growing up did you does it show no i did not <laughs> maybe just a little a tiny tiny bit I can name all the planets. That's <laughs> I can't start naming the moons of the planets. It's okay. That's um, that's probably not the geek level that we need you to be at. But I think once he finally leaves with Holden and you get to see kind of him experience a new world, he grows a lot as a character. And like I said, it's it took I don't even know how many chapters, but by the time they actually left with him, that that's where I started getting interested. So sure. Okay, Ken, how about that you? last five chapters that we read? That's where, yeah. I, by the way, I like having Prax on the team as a member of the crew because it's good to have a scientist. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it, it's good to flesh out the crew that we're supposed to be invested in. And I, I expect that this crew is the crew that we're following through nine books. I think they're up to nine now. Yeah. But maybe I, I, who, there's so many, you know, so many. They're going to introduce six more characters in the next book, so who knows who we're going to follow <laughs> right, exactly. by, like, exactly. book nine. So. So. But, but the crew of the Rosinante, as it's currently constructed, it's nice to have a scientist on board, and I, I like that. Personally, and it's probably not a lot of surprise, my favorite new character is Bobby. I I'm just, not surprised. I, <laughs> I'm not surprised. If I there was a character, so cool. if there was a character that on one arm would have tattooed the word bring on and on the other <laughs> arm the punchin it would be bobby yes <laughs> and i'm and i'm down with every little bit of it <laughs> i'm i'm down with her her matter of fact marine attitude her um no none her her breaking it down style of, of problem solving it's like gotta be done <laughs> this is the way this is the way it would happen you know and she just goes about Solving problems, even in this alien world, and it really is being a Martian back on Earth, even though they're all humans, they're really not, they're the same race, but they're not the same Correct. race, yeah. you know, they're the same species, but not the same race. Let's go with that. Um, 
So here she is on this alien world trying to figure out exactly how not to stand out as somebody who comes from low gravity. So she's a head and a half taller than everybody else anyway. Mm -hmm. And she just goes about taking a task from this UN ambassador and going, all right, I'll get it done. And she just, she goes and she tries to get it done. And when she can't, then it seems like it's not a big deal for her to admit. I don't know what I'm doing here. That doesn't mean I'm giving up. It means I need to find out what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I need to, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I need to figure out how, and, and she just, you know, no quit, you know, I'm going to figure out what I'm doing. And she's the character that I worry about being the naive one that eventually is going to make a grave mistake without realizing she is, because that's exactly how she is. I'm going to get the work done. I'm going to do it. But she doesn't always realize why she's doing it. She's holding yeah. from book one. Well, and she doesn't realize how out of her depth she is. So yeah. I'm worried yeah. she's going to be the one that's going to make some massive mistake. Yeah. And not know why. That whole chapter of her and Avasarla talking about, do you know why they won't talk to you? Because you're the new guy trying to impress her boss and you're... And because, and because and, they don't know whether or not you really have gone native, you've turned traitor. You, right. All these other kinds of things. It was a really, really, and and, and I guess. You Here's know, all your level two crap, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I like the way you call it crap. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> we also refer to crap as fertilizer because uh. it makes everything grow really well. Um, yeah, and, and I guess it probably wouldn't be a surprise to either of the two of you, not because you haven't picked her yet, but because of who I am, that <laughs> my favorite character was Avasarla. Of course. I, I have been waiting for her introduction I made the mistake of watching a couple of episodes of The Expanse early on. Um, and so I saw I saw like the first three episodes of season one. Yeah. So I got introduced to Miller and Holden and all of those folks, but I got introduced in the in the television series. They introduced Avasarla in book one. In episode one, yeah. So she shows, she shows up and we're left going, don't know who this person is. And I'm and and now she shows up in here and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about this character because in her, and and I have to admit, um, I've been more, this is one of those places where, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of moody, movie adaptations of books. Um, I'm a big fan of book adaptations of movies. Um, but I think I, my preference is always read the book first and then see the movie and make your own determination. Um, I think in the, I think in the movie, uh, in the television stuff that we've seen, they've portrayed her as much more, um, conniving. Um, that's the word I was thinking. Yeah. I, I, I see her much more as a, as a person who understands the political machine and trying to make sure that things get done. Um, then I do someone who is, uh, manipulating for personal reasons, all of the outcomes. And that seems to be more the way that they portrayed her in the television, in the, in the television stuff that I've seen up to this point in time. Mm-hmm. Now, again, if there are some of you out there that are, that are listening to this and you've read all of the expanse and you are ready to throw things <laughs> at me for being naive, <laughs> shut up. Let me have some fun. Okay. Let me learn on my own. Um, <laughs> because I, because I really like, um, the the way that the authors are using her uh as a as an exposition for why all of us get so frustrated with politics that's not the f word that she would have used <laughs> no it isn't because she uses that other f word uh, quite oh frequently yeah, you know, for being I, a politician let's oh for being a politician <laughs> this, anyway i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna suggest that there are three groups of people that use <laughs> words like that very eloquently and politicians and you are can one go of them ahead with what you were saying <laughs> um one of the things that was interesting about about the way that she approaches all of these things is that she recognizes that there are there are powerful figures there are visible figures and that the visible ones are not always the powerful ones and the powerful ones often use the visible ones to take care of things so that they can stay in power. I am reminded of a a very good friend of mine who was a staffer for a Senator back in, uh, back in Washington, DC, um, 20 years ago. 
And we had some interesting conversations about who really got things done in the office. Um, and it was, it was fascinating to me as I started to, as I started to peel back some of those layers to recognize, oh, well, yeah, the, the, the senators and the congressmen and, and all of those people that are out front, yeah, they are the ones that are, that are taking the fall and they're taking the hit. They're, they're getting the accolades and all those other kinds of things. But there is a big machine that they sit on top of and all of the people in that machine are dedicated to making sure that the machine continues to move. And so this idea that there are, there are people that are visible and there are people that are, that really have power, um, and that have the power to make things run. And, and in Avasarala, um, I think we are seeing one of those people that gets things done, that has the power, um, and that sometimes gets outmaneuvered on her own. <laughs> Um, some really yeah. fun storytelling as far and, and as far as um, some of the most interesting political level two stuff that I think I've ever seen that helps us understand. It helps give a, a, a face to why so many of us who are outside of the political franchise, you know, we use our franchise, we vote, we watch things and we say, why does it work out the way that it does? This is why, because there are so many people who have so many other things that they are manipulating uh, on the back end to try and keep things moving forward. Um, it's, it's just frustrating. The deep state and the political machine, man. I, you know, we, none of us want to, none of us want to really talk about that, but that's, I think there's a lot to be said for that when it gets to this level. And obviously they're projecting into a future when the United Nations is kind of taken over, but it's got very similar kinds of looks to the, what the United Nations looks like now and to what mm -hmm. political bodies look like now. So I think it's a very, it, it's some really relevant um, political political positioning, much the same way as Starship Troopers was. Yeah. Um, we, we get a glimpse into the political philosophies of the authors um, as to what they see wrong, what they see right, and what they see about the way that it works. Um, I'm very, I've been very pleased with it. Very fascinated. I saw, I saw a few... Uh, connections or inspirations in this one from Starship Troopers, not the least of which being the Marine and power armor, which was awesome. I not that you know I care about such things. <laughs> you know, I just I want to set a battle armor. I just really, really want to set a battle armor. I want to. I mean, I, oh man, <laughs> just to be able to. Would <laughs> be so cool. I do not. I think Todd's squealing <laughs> Just more to, than I to did. throw my opinion into that hole, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. The biggest difference in the Starship Troopers and uh, the the way the Starship Troopers was approached the issue and the way that um, the authors have approached this in the Expanse is they gave us some real de descriptions of what's going on with the battle armor. Um, in Starship Troopers, it was not very specific. It was pretty. It was, and the same thing with the Forever right. War. It was pretty, pretty. Uh, uh, flimsy as far as their descriptions. They, you know, they said, uh, you know, a, a, a soldier in battle armor can do this and this and this and this, but you didn't get very much. But with Bobby's, she talks about... With the laser finger. Yeah, <laughs> the laser finger. Uh, <laughs> but with Bobby's, she talks about, and they and they talk about Bobby working on her armor and and some of the different uh, layers that are involved in, in putting together her battle armor. It was, uh, I'm very impressed with it. Right. That reminds me, we get the in-depth, look at her putting together or doing her maintenance on her on her own armor and it, it is all centered around this uh, subplot of her with battle fatigue is what they used to call it post-traumatic stress is what they call it now yeah. and how she has to deal with the fact that her entire squadron is wiped out by creepy alien monster by the monster yeah by the monster I want to talk about, I, I, I want to get your guys' opinion on, um, on the PTSD stuff that we saw, that, that we've seen up to this point in time. I'm sure we're going to see more of it. Um, but how did you, I mean, did that, did that, I, not, none of us in this room have served. Uh, none of this, none of us in this room have been military. We've not, and, and so our opportunity to experience it on that level doesn't exist, but all of us in this room know people who have mm -hmm. based on that. Did you feel that these guys got this right as they were trying to describe how she was handling it, how people around her were handling it, how or not handling it and, and trying to go through the motions. How did that, how did it feel? Did it ring true to you? 
I think coming from trying to decide if I actually know anyone that has served that's dealt with PTSD. I know people that have dealt with PTSD for a myriad of reasons Mm -hmm. and not necessarily because they've served in the military. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that she's, that she is written to deal with it actually does ring very true to me to people I have seen in my own life Mm -hmm. and how they've dealt with the, the trauma of their past where at one point she kind of just ignores it that she's, she's back into her work set. Like, this is what I need Mm -hmm. to do. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what is expected of me. And this is just what I'm going to do. But at the same time, she also has moments of kind of, um, what am I, what's the word I'm thinking of when she's talking to the, the Navy guy that's, the, can you can't U- just nod your head the, like I need help walking through the this. UN Navy guy? Yeah, then then yeah. she kind of um, what is the word I want? Where she not really explodes at him, but I'm, I, I don't, don't know what the word you're. I don't know what the word I'm thinking of. But it's where where she lets all of her guard down and she lets she lets her emotion out. Yeah, yeah. That that moment she stops where, bottling it up for a second. And, and I think a lot of people when they're dealing with that. At, at times really do all of a sudden they lose the energy to keep the wall up and it comes crashing down around them. They spill out whatever emotional crap they're dealing with and then the wall goes back up. And that's kind of what you see with her in a way that if when she gets, when buttons get pushed too much with her, she loses it. And I think as she's working with, um, what's her name? The, the UN lady we were just talking about. Avasarla? Yes. Avasarla. Avasarla. There, you there go. we go. Um, I think it kind of, she is helping her cope through her PTSD without Bobby realizing that that's kind of what she's doing. Are you making Avasarla into a very motherly figure? Get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how she'd say it. <laughs> no, it's not, but we're a family friendly show here. We are. No. <laughs> I, uh, from all of the uh, experiences I've had around soldiers and around people who have served, and I have a lot of family members who have been there, it, it seems like a very common, well, and, and the stories that you read from, especially from World War II veterans, who keep that inside. Yeah. They'll, they'll tell you some stories in that, but then they will come across an event or two that has affected them very much and they will not tell you about it at all. Yeah. And uh, because uh, very much, I think they're trying to keep that wall up. Yeah. However, uh, in, in this situation, I don't want to talk about, you know, things I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge on in terms of post-traumatic stress, which by, by the way, this is, let's go on a tangent for a second. I hate, I hate the term PTSD. Uh, simply because it's not a disorder. I mean, it's a disorder clinically, but it's not a disorder in the same as most clinically defined disorders are are bad a, or unnatural. It, or, is a, it is a temporary state rather than a deficiency in the makeup of the individual. Not not only that, but it, it's, it states kind of by, it, or it intones, I guess, that feeling post-traumatic stress is abnormal and it's yeah. not yeah. it is it is very much a natural part of going through these extremely stressful situations not just military you know combat situations but when when people who have gone through a traumatic event on the street or something suffer post-traumatic stress it's not as just disorder it's very natural to feel something like that and by classifying it as as a disorder it somehow indicates that the person is broken and i hate that yeah because it shouldn't indicate that somebody is broken to feel post-traumatic stress yeah you know what i mean so i don't so i like to call it just pts or Mm post-traumatic stress and i hate i hate the disorder part anyway sidebar soapbox over um Anyway, in terms of Bobby, I think what we get to see is is uh, some of these coping mechanisms, like going back to what you are programmed. Soldiers are really kind of programmed, programmed to do, which is fix your armor, get battle ready, figure the tactical next step in whatever you've been assigned to do. The, the thing with the the Navy person, it's really kind of a safe haven type place, like a like a VFW, for example. Yeah, you know, where where she gets to be with somebody who actually understands what she's been through and 
those are therapeutic. That's, that's, I don't know. I took it as that's where she should be venting. And I hope she gets more opportunities like that to be with people who have served or talk to people who have served. Maybe even in the second half, we get to see her and Holden go through something. I don't know. Maybe. I know that. Or I, her and Amos. I know. <laughs> oh. Well, that would be an unhealthy combination. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I blabbered on too that's, long ago. No, no, you're fine. I think, um, one of the, one of the pieces that, um, one of the and and one of the benefits that we have of switching uh, points of reference, points of view, um, as we go through these different kinds of things, is that we get breathers. Um, if if we had to deal entirely with Bobby um, dealing with and overcoming the the daily triggers um, that could be part of what she is dealing with. Um, this would be a much different kind of a novel. It would be much, for me, it would be much uh, likely to be much darker and much more difficult to get through. Um, but because we get those opportunities, we can, be, we can be exposed very intensely to something going on and then we shift gears and we see somebody else going through equally challenging things, um, but approaching it from very different kinds of perspectives. Um, one of the things that I really uh, appreciate with uh with some of the uh some of the writing that is done around uh specifically around Bobby and Avasarala is the treatment of the the innate hostility between politicians and the military. Oh yeah. That they they you know they are they they use each other um and while they understand things about each other they do not understand each other. Yeah. Avasarala, for all her insight into what's going on and to how things work, um, does not understand Bobby. And Bobby, for all the insight that she's getting from Avasarala about how politics works, uh, I, she's not a politician. And so these two individuals that really represent, in some ways, two sides of a coin, they need each other, but they really don't like each other. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm very impressed at the way that this is written that makes it believable and also makes me turn around and say, and yet both of these individuals, when you get them away from their um, diametrically opposed positions and you get them interacting as human beings toward each other, they've got some real pathos for one another. Um, I think we get some glimpses into... Uh, Avasarala's humanness uh, at moments that are that that I was not expecting, like when she talks to her husband, like when she talks to her husband, um, and when her husband talks to her. This is the part where Todd cries. Oh, <laughs> shut up! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to say it now. Oh, come now on. Now I'm okay. I'll say it, and I'm probably going to cry when you when, know what. Uh, if you didn't, though. People would miss it, honestly. <laughs> People would say, what's wrong with Todd? <laughs> Todd's going through PTSD. Um, no, the moment where um, after the, after all of the, uh, you know, all, all of the real shooting starts on Ganymede and they just start destroying Ganymede base um, and her husband calls her, Arjun calls her and said, I love you. I have always loved you. And if we are born into other lives, I will love you then too. And the, this moment where we see that he can say all of those things to her and all she can say is, I'll be home late. <laughs> um, I love this, um, this opportunity to see a sensitive um, human part of her that then mm -hmm. translates into, um, at least for me, into a into a real, um, genuine caringness about the entire human race. Um, she's a you know we see the we see the inter, we see the interlude with her as a grandma, and we see the interlude with her and her husband. And we see that she has this very clear dividing line that says, this is my family 
I take care of my family and I can be vulnerable with my family. But then she becomes very hard, very much the yeah. soldier that she needs to be to get things done. She really does have those two very diverse personalities, which a lot of people in that position do. And the authors are allowing her to do some of that with Bobby. Oh yeah. When she has, uh, it was it was in this uh, same conversation, Ken, that you were mentioning, where she's saying, "Do you know why people aren't talking to you?" I think uh, it, as I was as I was listening to it, and I was I was watching this, I saw this being one of those moments where she flips the switch, and she stops being the hard boss or the or the or the tough lady or the 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 hard bargaining politician, and she's becoming for a moment. A, almost a, a nurturing mentor to say, do you understand just how deep you are into this? Do you understand how alone you are right now? Because I do, and this is going to be hard. You'll get through it, but you have to understand what's going on and you either are going to embrace it or it's going to kill you. And I really hope it doesn't kill you. Um, I'm not sure that there's a, I'm not sure that there's an affection yet but there was certainly yeah. concern, genuine concern, not just for getting things done, not just for getting her the information she needs, but for Bobby's survival. And it all started when she stood up in that conference room, when Bobby stands up in the conference <laughs> I This is one that I, that I, as I, as I'm looking at it, I'm saying to myself, I've actually been in conferences where people have done stuff like this. <laughs> I will not say whether or not I've been the person who's done stuff like this, but I will say I've been in rooms where this has happened <laughs> and somebody stands up and says, so are we going to talk about it? Are we going to talk about the monster? And everybody stops and looks at her. The monster, the thing that killed everybody. <laughs> are we going to talk about it or not? And everybody's like, uh, <laughs> shut her up, please. I loved it. <laughs> And, and I think that's where we see that Avasarala makes this choice. Okay. Okay. She's the no-nonsense human in the, in, in all of the, like the Bene Gesserit saying, oh, this one's a human. I can deal with this one. Uh, it, it was a, it was a really interesting moment. As much as I've disliked the introduction of all of these new characters, the farther you get into them and the more you get to know them, there is an absolute reason why he's introduced a politician and a military person into his story because I think that their point of view is definitely part of this driving story. You want to know what's happening between Earth and Mars because with Holden, everything is so far out into the belt and they're so far into the outer planets and most of what he has to do with is the OPA and that's who he's been working with. So I think introducing these characters is fantastic and I've loved getting to know them. I just want to get to know them Faster. faster. <laughs> so I don't want to just to my my previous criticism. I still I do love these characters. It's not that I have a problem that they've introduced new characters because they takes do. A while. They're right. they're fantastic characters yeah. and the storylines that he's developing between each one and especially once they start converging on one another and you're getting points of view, even though you're like in Bobby's chapter, you're still finding out what's happening. Um, with everyone else that she's interacting with or just because you're getting Prax's point of view, you know what's going on with Holden and, and their crew. Like once those moments happen, these stories become so much more interesting. And I love getting the more points of view of the same story as opposed to one point of view of four different stories. Yeah, yeah, I'll buy that. That's often a complaint that we have. I don't know if it's an, an overt complaint that we have about most stories. It's that stories especially third person stories i'm sorry especially first person stories are written from a singular perspective it's yeah. it's kavoth's uh perspective in uh the king killer chronicles it's uh rand's you know story even in in the wheel of time you get different chapters but those chapters are all from that singular perspective here you get two different perspectives in two different chapters but they're in the same setting so you actually get sometimes a little bit more i love that too well I, I do appreciate that he jumps back on occasion like you'll get um one thing that i remember as they're with um holden when he's trapped in the proto molecule and they're on the on his ship towards like chapter 26 27 this is like towards where we finished reading right yep um and so you get his chapter and what he's going through and then the next chapter is from prax's point of view and they do they take a whole <laughs> step back 
instead of picking up from Prax's point of view where you ended with Holden, it goes back to like 20, 30 minutes beforehand. And then you get what Prax was seeing from this mm-hmm. same point of view and you can hear the same dialogue happening. That's I what I'm enjoying. That. I got a, I got a kick out, out of this. So you can get his well, thought process. That's interesting. And you know where in the world he's, what he's thinking during all of this. Cause for a moment, I almost forgot Prax was even on the ship with them. Yeah. Right. And then you get what, his thought process was as the conversation is going, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, he was just sitting back because he's the scientist thinking through all of this as they have this protomolecule on their ship that Holden is obviously very concerned about because he's seen all of this firsthand. So, Talk about post-traumatic stress, by the way, <laughs> right there. Uh, Holden know... comes up against the protomolecule on Ganymede and flips his stack because... That's what you would do after being in a oh, near-death yeah. oh, yeah. traumatic event like that. You would go, yes, I realize I've been reasonable and rational and in control this entire time, but the moment that I see that, the f- switch is flipped, and now I just have this instinct to get away, smash everything involved with it, get away, and yep. burn it all. Yep. I want to talk, and since we've been talking so much about the other two, I'd like to jump to Holden. Um, there is a conversation that he has with Naomi, where she basically tells him, you are not the same man that yeah. you were beforehand. And I don't know if I like this new man that you're turning into. Like, Is that you or Naomi saying that? No, this is Naomi both. saying this. Yes, but is it, it you saying that too? I Maybe a little bit. I don't know. Because, <laughs> I mean, she's basically telling him that he's turning into Miller. He's the type that's shooting first now and asking questions later. And that's not who he is. There was a moment that was very clear for me on that. You remember in the in the first book when Dresden uh, <laughs> was was going through and saying, I'm giving you the stars, and then Miller and then Miller walks up and says, All right, that's enough. And it just pops him, right? <laughs> and in the very beginning of this, Holden's like, All right, look, we both know that I have enough ordinance that I can turn you to slag. I really don't want to today. Will you just give up? All right, paint him with lasers. All right, all right, fire. Right. <laughs> and I'm and I'm like, wow, he really has, he really has become Miller, hasn't he? He's he's gone all that direction. Yeah. And do you get that? Do do you, as 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 the story's being woven? Do you see? Did you see Naomi's point of view on that before Naomi expressed it? Yes, to a certain extent. Um, I don't know if they just if I didn't if I don't remember maybe enough of Holden's story to really sorry there you go. really feel like uh. okay. Stephanie's struggling with the microphone today I don't know if I remember enough of his story to really follow exactly where he was coming from with that moment but at, at a certain point yeah you get to the point going yeah he's there's something different with him yeah, yeah. he's reacting different he's talking differently like and I mean, I'm, I don't know, in my mind, she probably, cause she's really the only, she's the girl I relate with most on this story is Naomi. Cause I am not a Bobby type person. <laughs> and you're not an Avasara. No, I am certainly not a politician, but that moment in that conversation where they're together and they're being open and honest with each other. And I think yeah. it's one of those nice conversations amongst his crew and the development of their relationship. Yeah. Um, that she can feel like I I can be honest with you, you are not the same person that you were, and I I can't be with that this new person if this is yeah. who you're going, if this is the path you're going to continue going down. I just can't follow you. <laughs> you're breaking my heart. Thank you, thank you for ruining that moment. <laughs> oh come on, you set it up so beautifully. It's you knew true. we were gonna jump through that. <laughs> she does give uh, him the ultimatum change back or drop me off at the next uh yeah airport, well i don't you know? know if she necessarily needs to change back to who he was because don't think be miller whatever he's gone through yeah, it's don't impossible. be miller but i think that he could find a nice middle ground between him growing through his experiences with eros and everything that he saw there mm-hmm. And because he's also coming to deal with the fact that he now believes that Fred is the one that has taken the proto molecule and adapted it to this new form that they're right. They're now seeing. Do you agree with him? No. 
In fact, I, the moment he said it, I was like, man, that is a huge leap to take. I can see how you got there, but that is a big jump from here to there going. I gave him the only proto molecule out there. Therefore, this must be from that. So there, no, there's a whole big thing on Venus. You saw it crash into Venus. It doesn't have to be this proto molecule that you gave. But in their science and in their world, no human, their no human machine of theirs can get onto Venus, right? Which is why he's seen that Fred is his only option. Well, yeah, but you see all the changes on Venus. You know that that alien proto molecule is not is not dead on Venus. You know that it's there. And and besides that, in this futuristic world, you've got to ex- expect that there are alternative explanations than, <laughs> than this one thing happened. Therefore it must be that. Well, and you I know? can see, I, just... I, I can see how they've done a, the, the, the writers have done a wonderful job of setting it up, of setting a blind piece in place that Holden can't know. Yeah. Um, and so it makes perfect sense that Holden jumps all the way to Fred but we've been given a glimpse and it's in the interchange between Avasarala and uh, Mao, Julie yes. Mao's, Julie Julie Mao's, Mao's dad, dad mm-hmm. that she says that she's, as she's having the conversation with Mao, that there is something that he's holding back. I'm, I'm willing to bet as, as we're reading through this, one of the, one of the, you know, semi prediction that I would make is that we're going to find out that, that protogen got some of the protomolecule in the early stages, but not all. And that sure. Mao industrials, Mao textiles or whatever it was, um, held on to some additional resources and had them working in a different location. And so I, I, I have the feeling we're going to find out that that, that that piece of the, of the mess is still going on. Sure. And, uh, Although I have to admit my first thought was that it's got to be Fred too, because at the end of that first book, <laughs> right. When, when Fred goes on one hand, we can war with each other. And on the other hand, I give you the stars, the same blasted thing that Dresden, that Dresden said, said, yep. That got him capped by Miller. And I'm, <laughs> and I, I kind of, I'm hoping that when we see that piece, uh, when I see that piece in the television series, that, I can that they go in on Holden and Holden goes, huh? <laughs> kind of, kind of does a Scooby moment <laughs> because because I would be sure that if that was the case and he heard Fred say that because remember he was in that room mm-hmm. and he heard Fred say that and now he sees this going on makes perfect sense to me that that's the direction he's going and that's why he goes there. Did you mean to make it a Scooby moment because he's named Fred? <laughs> Wow, no, I didn't. I wondered. But that's a that's a good one, Shaggy. Um yeah, that's that's not uh that's not something that I'd intentionally done. No pun intended. That was funny. Anyway, I I can't say I wouldn't be surprised I I I'm sorry, how am I saying this? I can't say I would be surprised if it was Fred because we haven't seen anything from him yet. Yeah. And because like you said, there was this little thing at the end of the last book that made you go he might not have the best intentions for everybody, you know, or he may have the most noble intentions and I'm sorry. And a, and a piss poor way of executing it. Yeah. When, you know, we, we look at, so I, I, I read a, or not read. I, I've, I, I watched Ted talks. I don't know if anybody else watches Ted talks. That's probably kind of a, a little bit of a weird and esoteric entertainment. I feel but like, I, I feel like Ted talks is the kind of thing that everybody says they listen to. Yeah, and I'm the only one who really does. I don't. So, yeah. thanks. I will say I don't because I don't. Thanks um, for the four of you out there that do. Um, <laughs> if you're not already a member of the of of Todd's troop, you need to get on board. Um, so anyway, they they have TED talks. They, they we do. <laughs> Megan's mom has cookies. We the have troop TED of Todd talks. Has TED talks. <laughs> um, there was one where the where uh, one of the guys was talking about uh, he was talking about nuclear reactors. And he, I, trust me, this applies. Um, and he had this this big conversation about two different kinds of nuclear reactors, fast breeder reactors and uh, and thorium reactors. And he said the problem with thorium reactors was that when when you use thorium reactors, they didn't generate the kind of fissionable material that would be useful in nuclear weapons. And in the 1950s, everybody wanted more nuclear weapons because we were afraid that somebody else was going to have them before we were. 
So all of our nuclear power research went into these more dangerous, more accident-prone, fast breeder reactors so that some idiot could build more nuclear bombs than the, than the planet could possibly absorb, right? Um, Mutually assured destruction. And his, and his new thing, you know, thank you, War Games, um, and, his, and his TED Talk was all about how we should start exploring thorium reactors and that it would give us cheap, clean energy and blah, 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 blah. And I really hope we do. I hope that that's something that we get an opportunity to explore. Very much in favor of it, have been for a lot of years, and I've probably now offended large amounts of people. Um, but, but whenever you give someone with the best of intentions for humankind a bigger hammer, you gotta know that somebody is going to be sitting around the corner saying, I have an idea how we could use that hammer safely. <laughs> Let me borrow it for just a little while and I'll make it safe. If Fred is involved, if it's not my, if it's not Mal, if it is Fred, I guarantee you it's probably a situation where somebody said to somebody else to get to Fred and get the proto molecule and they took it and ran off and went rogue. Huh. That's my that's my gut prediction on this one. You get a big enough hammer and everything looks like a nail. <laughs> Man, and everything is, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, if your hammer's big enough, you can pound a screw in. It's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just the way that it goes. Trust me, I've used some pretty big hammers. I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not even. Yeah, okay, well. We're just going to leave that one there. <laughs> that's. I didn't mean it any way except in a carpentry sense, so there you go. Right. So, as we've been going through this book, have there been any moments that you've just laughed out loud as you've been reading this book? Obviously, I have one, but I want to hear what you guys, whether or not you've had any just absolute laugh out loud moments. Everything Amos does <laughs> pretty much yeah, makes any, me laugh. Anything he says is pretty the, funny. The first, the first scene where Holden's looking for, looking for coffee, he's like... Amos, <laughs> was it necessary to pull the galley apart in order to fix the ship? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> would you like me to explain why, or would you like to take my word for it? <laughs> I'll just All take right. your word for it. I, but could I, you have gotten me some coffee first? Right here, here Cap. I just, <laughs> I just love that whole attitude. Was this necessary? Yeah. Want me to explain why? <laughs> I'll just take your word for it. Yeah, it was it was it was a very fine first look at how the crew's uh, relationship has evolved. Yeah, they have evolved. I mean, it's the four of them on this big battle frigate that should have a crew, you know, ten times the size of it, and and, and they're <laughs> just they're a family. And well, and Holden even mentions it later in the book. He has a little heart to heart that mentions they're a family. That's that's his family now. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna risk my family. Yeah. Stephanie, how about you? Yeah, I can't think of anything. Makes so. it makes it even more awkward that he's sleeping with his sister, but you know, whatever. I had to go there, huh? I did. I hate I hate that romantic relationship. Why can't they just be crewmates who dig Quiet, each other? You. you know, I, just, I hate it. I hate it. Ken, I don't hate all love stories, Ken, but I hate this one. Ken, it's not uh, even a love story. It's not. It's just there, and yeah. let it be. Because uh, it, it makes me happy. Ken, right. <laughs> if it makes Stephanie happy, I'm all for it. I'm with you, Stephanie. I'm all for I it. I like it. I think it was. It was. I think it was a natural evolution of people that spend a lot of time together, and there's an attraction. But I mean, there's... she's the only woman there. She has to be sleeping with someone. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and you know who it was. It's gonna be holding. It's not gonna be Amos. <laughs> I didn't say it's not a natural it, it doesn't evolve naturally out of their circumstance but I just doesn't mean I have to like it Ugh. so but as long as Stephanie likes it I'm for it so <laughs> I have to tell you my my real memorable laugh out loud moment happened today and I can't read it exactly because if I did I'd get us in trouble <laughs> but it was the one where he was where Holden is saying he doesn't suffer from claustrophobia He'd been in scout ships small enough that, oh. that uh, you know, you couldn't bend over to scratch your toes. And he'd been crawling in between the, the surface skin and the inner bulkheads of different, mm -hmm. different spaceships. He says he'd never had nightmares where he woke up being buried and all of those kinds of things. And truth be told, uh, even if you could fool the psych profiles and everything, one trip in space would separate those who could handle it from those who went... <laughs> 
BF. <laughs> I, I was I was driving to work and I lost it. I just started to laugh out loud. I don't know why that combination of words was the <laughs> it was the most it was the most delightful moment I've had in this book. <laughs> Because in my mind, that phrase conjures up a very particular kind of insanity. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but <laughs> sorry. he still thinks it's he hilarious. Thinks hilarious. <laughs> I I oh, practiced man. earlier today being as calm and as rational. <laughs> and I still find it just absolutely hilarious. It's my favorite. I really like it. Um, but I think I okay. like it. I think I like it even more because as they're moving through, I mean, all of the different, and let's be fair, when we started this this little process, um, we were all commenting on the fact that it seems like the authors might be getting a bonus for every time they can drop the (laughs) F-bomb as they're moving through, and this time they've thrown the C-word into the midst of all of that, so we've got all, and we got the woman that, you know, a, a grandma that's using the f bomb more than everybody else. I think the character that almost seems least appropriate is the one that uses it the most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it know, surprises me when man. she says it, though. I mean, to who she's talking to at times, as a like as a professional, you expect her to have a little bit more demure language. <laughs> And when she's talking matter. to her boss and she's talking about the effing bobblehead. Yeah, it doesn't matter who she's talking to and she is <laughs> dropping the F word right and left. I'm like, you are not the character I think should be talking like this. It really, it throws, it. it's weird to me. It feels unnatural and yeah. forced for that character. When like if Amos was throwing the F word around, I'd be like, yes, that makes sense. Even that if makes- Bobby was. Yeah. But for her, that it that's what takes me out of the story is every time she swears. Because I don't see her character in the position that she's in and who she's usually talking to using it as frequently as she does. Sure. And Todd's over like, I know you are I, wrong. I, well, no, I'm not going to say you're <laughs> wrong. I'm just going to say you obviously haven't worked for some of the people that I've worked for. Um, because there's a there's a couple of there's a couple of older ladies that I have worked for that are as liberal with the F bomb <laughs> as Avasarl is. And so when when that's going on, I'm like Yep, that's Joan. That's exactly what Joan would... That's Doreen. That's exactly how Doreen would handle it. Yep, I got it. I think it speaks to two two little uh, attention to detail things from the authors, by the way, because uh, I thought about that too, and I thought, but she's the only one that says it with that much gusto, which I think um, both paints the characters as consistent because not every person that you meet will say, you know, will drop an F bomb with, with that much regularity, but some people will. So in this certain context, not everybody says it, but she sure does. And she says it pretty consistently. And I think that speaks to consistent character nature. The other thing it does is it shows, if you think about it, just how much standing she has in UN politics, because she can drop a bomb in front of her boss and no big deal. And about her boss's boss. Yeah. So, but it also goes to the mask. Arjun talks to her about her about the mask. Oh yeah. Um, that she wears when she is doing politics, when she is doing her job. She doesn't use that kind of language around the children. She doesn't use that kind of language around her house. She only she doesn't use that kind of language with Arjun. She uses it in her office. It's her. It's her rattling the saber. It's her tool. It's a, it's a tool that she uses. Um, whether she, whether, whether we agree with it or not, the, the authors are putting it together as a, as a piece of her toolkit. Um, she doesn't. And again, we look at what she was doing with Bobby. And when she pours the tea, she has that moment of honesty with Bobby. She's not using the F-bomb. And then she moves out of that nurturing thing and she says, good, now get the F out of my office. <laughs> um, it's, it's like, yeah. it's her tool. It's her, it's, it's part of her switch that she flips to say, all right, now I'm back into business mode. Let's move forward. And while, and while I completely agree with you, it is, it is not, um, it, it can be extremely jarring and extremely 
um, dissociating in the in the prevalence. I've known people like that. <laughs> yeah, and it's unfortunate, especially when you go home and you wind up finding out that you just said it. Um, and your <sighs> wife looks at you and goes, "I can't believe you just said that." I'm said said what? I, and yeah, it's happened. Well, and I don't know if I would have noticed it as much if I was actually reading the book as opposed to listening to it. Yeah, because I listen to everything on audiobook, and so that is really when I'm listening to it, it really it jars me a lot more. Yeah, probably because I tend to glance things as I'm reading, so I don't yeah. read every word, and I might have missed some of them if I was physically reading the book. Yeah, but you would have That's listening to it. It's a lot more noticeable how often she swears so yeah and she doesn't use a lot of words but she does use one she uses a lot she uses the f word a lot lot. (laughs) and the c word she's the one that's been using the c word too oh you know yeah so there you go you got to use that armor so um and the hammer oh yeah um (laughs) so as we move forward are are you guys comfortable making any predictions about what we're going to learn about this new this new version of the proto-molecule uh, and how it's interacting with with other situations. Do you have any ideas? Do you have any thoughts? I have one, but I want to hear your guys' first. I think maybe more accurate to say, I hope that whatever is happening on Venus that is triggering these um, anomalies on Ganymede and then now on the Rosinante and probably in other areas, I hope that that works to bring Mars and Earth together for the common Oh well, look at you going all the way to, you know, like level 2 stuff. I man. know, but I'm I, so proud of well, you. Well, it's also level 1 stuff because the enemy of my enemy, etc., you know. Okay, okay. At uh, least at that. least teaming that. teaming up for the good of both of us, you know, and maybe the maybe the OPA and the Belters jump in to that as well, knowing full well and, and um Avasarla even alludes to it. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Bobby alludes to it when she's talking to Avasarla about how they're not fighting this war. They're gearing up for the next war. Yeah, that one that thing about the comet. Yeah. So they're they're gearing up not for what's going on on Venus. They're going on they're gearing up for what happens after what's going on on Venus. But I think that means that we in the next 27 chapters we get to see them coming together at least in the interim to to fight a common enemy. Maybe um, for this book, I don't think we're there yet, in my opinion. Um, I think this is very much going to be more about a war between Mars and Earth. And hopefully something big enough happens that maybe a book or two down the road, they might actually come together. Mm. But I don't see that happening in this book. Um, I also am curious. They kind of made a point about explaining how the protomolecule that's on the ship is very much different than the protomolecule that... Julie tur- that be- that Julie became took mm-hmm. over Julie right because it was very much more human esque. It they said it had a head and it had arms and it had legs. So I'm kind of thinking that it came from somewhere else other than Venus for that reason that it's been developed differently than the way it had naturally progressed when it took over Julie. It's evolving a little bit too. So that's kind of. Wherever I don't have any really predictions of where that came from, whether it's from Fred or whether, like Todd, you were saying it was from Mal Industries or whatever that company's called, or but I think it, it's from someplace else other than Venus. So, and my my gut says, as we're as we're reading this, that what they have figured out is how to um, how to make the proto molecule take on a host. And that these children who have the depleted immune systems were carefully selected by Dr. Strickland because they were ideal test subjects for this protomolecule to move in and create a symbiotic relationship where they use the children as hosts. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you the thing that I am the most afraid of right now is that May has already become a host to one of these protomolecule thingies. Um, the one that I the one that I really wonder about is whether or not she was the one that was on the ship with them. 
But there is something that we kind of know from the experience with Julie is that she could still be very much alive. Yes. May, May still could be there. Like yes. she could still very much be a part of a part of that relationship that it's not necessarily that the proto molecule takes complete control. Correct. Right. So it's symbiotic. It's still, not it's not a complete takeover. And I think we've learned that with, with everything that happened with Julie that that they're still available it's still he it's not hope's not lost that May is whether she's been taken over that Prax still might have some sort of I'm a happy ending person. Okay. We know you are. I we just know want you a are. happy ending. Okay. Okay, okay. What if? Here's here's your smoking, you know, what if moment, Todd. You know, smoking smoking doobies. What if in the next twenty seven chapters, okay, just go with me, that we find out that the that the um uh kids with, with health issues are the ones who are perfectly perfectly suited to take over or to be merged with a symbiotic protomolecule and uh we get this this nice little race of symbiotic uh, uh, protomolecule hybrids and fred johnson at the end of the book says the only way to stop these protomolecule people from these proto people from taking over is to take the protomolecule myself and he takes the one sample <laughs> that he has and becomes you know whatever. fred hulk Fred Hulk that's going to stop the proto people. The proto Hulk. Our and listeners then in, are going to listen to this. And then in book like, three, now we've got... They are smoking something. Yeah, right? And now in book three, we've got proto Fred out there trying to... So now we've got Avengers and oh, Fred. <laughs> oh, thinking these idiots need to finish this book. You know, we we warned you. We warned you at the very beginning that today was going to be one of those days. Hopefully, uh, our, little, our little tripping of the light fantastic uh, or the proto-molecule disgusting <laughs> does not turn you off so much that you don't want to listen to us. We have another 27 chapters to go. Uh, Wait probably, until book three. Probably another two Probably another two weeks and we'll be ready to, to release those. If you're reading along with us and you've gotten up to this point and you've read ahead, um, like I said, you know, bear with us as we get into the next part. We're going to have a lot of fun uh, finishing this piece, this piece of The Expanse off. Please don't laugh at us too um, hard. <laughs> and <laughs> at all of our wrong. And, and you so know. So many eye rolls. There's so many. So We're used to that, though. We're used to. In fact, Ken and I have been used to it for four years oh now. Oh, my God. Yeah, every time we I'm say anything. I'm pretty sure I've rolled my eyes like four times just sitting here talking to the two of you. We know. So. We know. We're used to it. Hey, thanks Absolutely. very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Should we get this one started? Have you already started recording? Yeah, we're recording. Oh, if you we're already going. Start whenever you want to start. We can start, and um, I'm just I'm. This is, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> I was like, you're now. looking at the. I'm trying yeah. to. I'm trying to do two things In at once. In three, two. <laughs> My watch is going to tell me.